Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality. That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, November 16th, 2023, the 1,030th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So this week we have talked about the regime in what seems to be a full blown panic, understanding that the messaging campaigns have failed. They are no longer able to convince the American people that Donald Trump is their enemy, that Donald Trump was the worst thing that could ever happen to America. They haven't been able to destroy his popularity, not with the fake 
debates in the fake Republican primary and not with the indictments and the 91 felony counts and these court cases from E. Jean Carroll or Alvin Bragg or Letitia James or Fannie Willis or Jack Smith. And with every new crisis that erupts on the world stage, people are not thanking their lucky stars that Joe Biden is the real legitimate president. They are wishing that Donald Trump would come back so that we could re-enter a period of prosperity. While thinking about this yesterday, I posted on X, formerly Twitter, that it should be intellectually impossible for anyone to be a warmonger during this period, believing that Joe Biden is the president of the United States of America and the commander in chief of America's military. Anyone who is pushing for an escalation in kinetic global conflicts while also supporting the illusion that Joe Biden is the legitimate president of the United States of America should be ignored forever. If they actually believe Joe Biden is the president of the United States, then the last thing they should want on the world stage is a furtherance of kinetic conflict that would eventually draw America in because we have a compromised, demented, corrupt old fool and racist and pervert as our so-called president. How desperate would you have to be to want war under that scenario, knowing that that war could arrive on your shores? It's like they're all serving something higher. They haven't ruined Donald Trump in the eyes of the public. In fact, they've elevated him in the eyes of the public. So they're figuring out what they can do with that. They're going to throw everything at the wall, trying to make sure that Donald Trump will never again be recognized as the president of the United States. If they can't keep him out, then they will delegitimize him. And since they've already failed to delegitimize him, they need to reframe all of this as even scarier than the first time around. Here is Rachel Maddow the other night on Stephen Colbert's Late Night Show. First, I want to ask you about what's been happening recently. On, on Veterans Day, on a Veterans Day speech, Trump called the left vermin and fascists. And you know a two thing about fascism in this book. Why do you think he's leaning into these comparisons? Yeah, I think it's important that it very clearly wasn't an ad lib. This wasn't something that uh, he riffed on. It was seemed to have been in his teleprompter. It was 100 minutes into the speech. And uh, he, after the speech, then posted it with the same language on truth, whatever, his online yeah. thing. Right. Um, and so this means this, this is not a slip of the tongue. This is something that he's doing deliberately. And if, if you know one thing about fascist dictators of yore, you know that they call the people they want to eliminate vermin right you know you know that dehumanizing language is the yes. thing it's like the cartoon language of, of fascism and so i think that he's deliberately doing that and so trump did that at the same time that we've had these leaks kind of official leaks from his campaign that he wants to build camps for millions of people um that he wants professional to, camps though professional looking camp. i like <laughs> yes, the no yes, crocs exactly. element it's, it's, it's just it classes it up a lot yeah. but camps for millions of people and Americans. He also wants to invoke something called the Insurrection Act, which will allow him to use U.S. military force against American civilians at home. And he says he's going to invoke that on day one, which would give him, from that day forward, the ability to use the army against us at home. Um, so doing, floating all of those things at once and calling his opponents vermin, he's deliberately inviting 
the criticism that he is behaving like a Hitler or Mussolini style fascist. Well, he, he must think that that's a good thing for him and his campaign. And my, my question to you is from what you've learned about studying fascist movements and fascist movements in America is given the fascism is essentially an attractively lazy political tool. Why do you think it has so many people on the right in America right now interested in it? Well, I think that he's inviting us to call him a fascist and he's doing these things so that... I so mean, I just he, play it into his hand, is what you're saying? Well, I am too. I mean, the thing, you can't ignore it, right? You don't have a choice. He is yanking our chain. He does want to be talked about in these terms. But it's also, it's important that you pointed out that he, in that speech, also called his critics fascists. He wants fascists just to become a random political epithet, just an insult that everybody uses that means nothing. In the same way that he took fake, fake news was a thing, but then he decided all news is fake news. And now fake news is just this term that means nothing. Well, because there can be no uh, authority other than the authoritarian, and so no one can label him with anything, including something as accurate as fascist, so that all ha meaning has to be undermined. That's what George yes. Orwell talks about. There, there can be no meaning to anything other than what the state says the meaning is. That's exactly right. So okay. he's sapping those words of their meaning, so we can't criticize him by calling him a fascist because he says everything's fascist. And there's also the, the, the ongoing thing on the, the modern Republican Party, which is every accusation is a confession. No puppet, no puppet, you're a puppet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes, this is, this is the way he works. But this is, he's part of a, it's not just about him. He's trying to build an anti-democratic movement in this country where people want a strong man um, to hold power by force rather than for us to use elections. And it is we, appealing because yeah. it, you know, it's simple. Yeah. Just do what the strong man says. I alone can fix it. Yeah. We need to talk our fellow Americans out of that as an idea without paying any attention to him. Now, all of that is awfully rich from the side who has been calling Trump supporters maggots for the last eight years. You know, MAGA with a T-S on the end, maggots. That's like their common name for us. But here's what Trump actually said. In honor of our great veterans on Veterans Day, we pledge to you that we will root out the communists, Marxist, fascist, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. Now, did that seem like he's dehumanizing the left? If it did, I didn't hear it. That's not how I hear that at all. He's talking about rooting out communist, Marxist, and fascist thugs. And here's the full quote. We will root out communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country that lie and steal and cheat on elections. They'll do anything, whether legally or illegally, to destroy America and to destroy the American dream. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. Our threat is from within. Now, with everything going on in the world, it's good that Trump has remained focused on the fact that our greatest threat is not posed by one of these other countries, and it's not posed by Middle Eastern terrorism. The threat in this country is created by the presence of the global evil twin in this country. The threat is the Uniparty and what the Uniparty uses to stay in power, which aside from the sheer force that it can wield also includes the corrupting and compromise of citizens all across the country in every walk of life and at every level. 
Now, Stephen Colbert and Rachel Maddow are both speaking from the perspective of a total inversion within the false reality. They are lying about what the word fascism means and represents. They are the people using a totally warped definition of fascism. They are the people who have essentially undefined the word fascism and made it just really bad right wingers, even though fascism is not even a right wing ideology. They are the people who at all times are doing the bidding of transnational corporations who coordinate with global governments to implement a global agenda, literally definitionally fascism, and they think everyone else is the fascist. But the point is they're trying to set up a narrative in the eventuality that they no longer control the presidency in the eyes of the American public. At that point, not only would they be trying to delegitimize Trump, they would be trying to bring Trump down. They would be attempting to reach the final stages of their playbook by completing that last grand switcheroo, making Trump and all of MAGA the enemies of the world, while the uniparty left and uniparty right reunite to finally deal with Trump and MAGA once and for all because they are the real threat and they would want to get all of the standard issue villagers in the country behind that uniparty. They would encourage the two sides of the uniparty to work together. It would be for them the ultimate dream. They would be able to seize full power for the uniparty and then turn it on all of their political enemies. They want the people's permission to eradicate the American sense of individualism and sovereignty. And to do that, they would need to present Trump and MAGA as the greatest possible threat to all of humankind, just like the Nazis, except even worse this time. These are the real Nazis, not like those Nazis in Ukraine we were just supporting 21 months ago. This is where we are headed, narratively speaking, for these people. They need to redefine Trump and MAGA as Nazis and really sell it this time. They need people begging for the global regime to come and get involved in the affairs of the United States and in the removal of Donald Trump and the defeat of MAGA once and for all. And if they can just get everyone back on the same page, maybe they'll be able to do it. Think about what we've just listened to. That is one of the nation's major cable news hosts visiting one of the nation's leading late-night comedians and talk show hosts to call well over half the country potential Nazis. And they're not hiding it, not beating around the bush, and it's not new. We're talking about people who supported Hillary Clinton when she called that same group of people deplorables seven-plus years ago. The amount of hate and vitriol and dehumanization thrown in the direction of Trump and his supporters by exactly these people represents everything they are currently complaining about and relating to the most heinous regimes in all of history. It's literally them. They are not only the ideological descendants of that exact same regime. Many of them are bloodline descendants of that exact same regime. And you can see what they are doing. They are attempting to reverse the roles of victim and oppressor as they always do. I've talked many times on this podcast about how the argument from the left and from the Democrat Communist Party that they are actually the party who is friendly to American minorities is all based on a switcheroo they pulled with the Civil Rights Act. 
Lyndon B. Johnson, upon signing that legislation, said, I'll have those N words voting Democrat for the next 200 years. The Democrats are the party of slavery, of the Confederacy, of the Klan, of Jim Crow laws, of urban decay. They didn't just wake up one day in the 1960s and think we love black people. They simply implemented an agenda that allowed them to centralize and amass more power after, of course, assassinating a president. And then for the next 60 years, everybody pretended that Republicans hate black people, even though Democrats were filibustering that very Civil Rights Act. If Trump somehow is recognized by the American public as president once again, they are going to have to attempt the greatest switcheroo of all time, and you can see them already beginning to set it up. That's also why they're going so hard after the issue of deportation. The solution is not for us to back down on any of these priorities, understanding that these are the priorities of a responsible, sovereign nation. But it's also a good reminder to be responsible when talking about these things, understanding that there is a coordinated effort to reframe all of this incorrectly in the minds of the American public. And I know what you're thinking. They've been calling us Nazis for eight years. And yes, that's true. I'm just saying they are really going to go for the gusto this time. Because if Trump's not Hitler and we're not Nazis, that means that people might start realizing the people supporting Nazis are the Nazis. And of course, the people supporting censorship and propaganda and segregation and forced medical experimentation and eugenics in service of the creation of superhumans and cons I mean, work camps and quarantine camps and false flag events and stolen elections and the persecution of the political opponents and changing laws illegally and indoctrinating children and, you know, erasing history and seizing property and businesses and causing food shortage and famines and changing the meanings of words and the expansion of an administrative state that controls everyone's lives and a total eradication of the nuclear family and all religion. If they can't make Trump, Hitler and all of MAGA Nazis, then they might end up looking like the Nazis just because they did all that stuff that the Nazis did. And they're also ideological and bloodline descendants of those very same Nazis. But sure, sure, sure. It's probably us. So that's your potential future in the false history of the future where the regime actually wins after all of this is done. And yes, you may have to risk evil and stupid people saying evil and stupid things about you in the potential instance where we fail. But I would suggest that that is just all the more reason not to fail. So that's the future, but they're still working on the present. I said they are throwing everything at the wall. And one of the things they are throwing at the wall is Joe Manchin. At first, it was just a rumor, and then there were murmurs, and then people said, Joe Manchin is not going to run for re-election to that Senate seat that he was going to lose to Jim Justice? Well, why not run that corrupt old communist for president? And here's Joe Manchin beginning to push that narrative. Are you seriously contemplating a run for the White House? Here's what I'm seriously contemplating, I, and I've said this very clearly, but people always want to say, well, are you going to run? I'm going to do everything in my power 
to make sure and mobilize that moderate, sensible, common sense middle. That could be a center left, center right. So it could be a person who is involved in the grand old party forever. But they basically say, well, you know, my Democrat friends over here, the old blue dog Democrats, the middle's gone. There's not many of us centrists left. And if I can reinvigorate that, and I said, I will do everything that I possibly can. I'm totally, absolutely scared to death that Donald Trump would become president again. I think we will lose democracy as we need it, know it. And my reason for saying that, you can't normalize this visceral hatred, calling people names and attacking people. You can't basically think the only fair election is the one you win. And the only laws pertain to everybody but you. That's not the country we are. That's not how we became the country. And I'm afraid that Joe Biden's been pushed too far to the left. Can he come back? We'll see. But the bottom line is that's not the Joe Biden that we thought was being elected to go that far left. Just to clarify, just to put a fine <clears> point, I know you haven't made sure. any decisions, but are you considering running for president? I will do anything I can to help my country. Is that a yes? And you're saying, does that mean you would consider it? Absolutely. Every American should consider if they're in a position to help save the country. I think we're on the wrong course. So I will do everything possible. So that is Joe Manchin, retiring senator, centrist, blue dog Democrat from West Virginia, worrying about losing our democracy as we know it while wearing a Ukraine flag lapel pin. He's so committed to defending our democracy as we know it that he's willing to defend our democracy as we know it over in Ukraine. And you might think, isn't that their democracy? Nope. It's the same one because their democracy is worldwide and it's not democracy. It's global communism. They call it democracy because they have elections all around the world in all of the countries they control, all of the countries they have infiltrated, all of the countries where they have installed their system of governance. All those countries have elections. Now, who decides the winner of those elections? Is it the people of those countries? Well, no, it's not. It's the same situation that we have here. The global regime chooses the winners. Everything after that point is just an argument to make the implementation of the agenda under the leaders we are given make sense and feel real. Once you've stolen elections, then you can tell the people that they chose this system and this agenda. And when you do that in enough countries, you can bring those countries all together and say, we represent a majority of the world's population and we all agree with this position. Therefore, what this is, is democracy. All we had to do was steal those elections and convince people the elections were legitimate. And what we have now is global democracy. We need to defend that democracy, our democracy, as we know it all around the world. And that, of course, is what Joe Manchin is doing. And to defend our democracy as we know it in the United States is to defend the global evil twin in the United States represented by the Uniparty. Now, Joe Manchin is on the Uniparty left and always has been, but he wants everyone to know that he is willing to work with the Uniparty right to present this new option. He is a centrist. And centrism is the sort of belief that advertises one's ability to never want to get in an argument with anyone about anything ever. They want a centrist viewpoint. 
Is it principled? No. The only operative principle of centrism is being scared to take a position on anything, knowing that you could get punished for it. But that is where we are. People want to find centrist positions because they don't want to be argued with because they can't defend themselves in argument. They don't have any real beliefs. They don't have any real principles. What they have is a collection of widely approved slogans that they feel they can identify with, and they will bring out their collection of slogans whenever it comes time to present one's slogans. And then if their collection of slogans is challenged, they will simply say, well, I don't care about this particular slogan all that much, not if it's going to put us in an argument, so let's just talk about something else. That is centrism. It's just passive global communism. Please don't expect me to express principled positions. My position is whatever no one will get mad at. And I imagine the regime thinks they may still have fertile ground with Americans of that particular persuasion. You'll find this among Ron DeSantis supporters. You will find it among many RFK Jr. supporters. These people actually think that they are being individualistic with these decisions and that they are avoiding aligning themselves with these older traditional centers of power. They believe that they are stepping out of the Biden versus Trump paradigm, but what they're actually doing is remaining firmly in and doubling down on the everybody versus Trump paradigm. Joe Manchin is there to support the uniparty construct and the controlled opposition dynamic within it. Democrat versus Republican, left versus right, liberal versus conservative. All of that is obsolete and irrelevant. The only thing that matters is the uniparty, the evil twin faction of the global regime in the United States versus the people of the United States, sovereign individuals supporting a sovereign nation and hopefully a return to a constitutional republic rather than continuing to operate under our democracy as we know it. They are constantly screeching about the tearing down of our democracy as we know it. But our democracy, as we know it, is a constitutional abomination and should be torn down to be replaced with that constitutional republic. This isn't an abolition of all law and the Constitution. This is a return to it, understanding that what we deal with now is an inversion of the Constitution advertised as the Constitution according to its original intent. Now, is Joe Manchin concerned that Joe Biden has gone too far to the left? Well, there's no way in the world that's true. Joe Manchin has been there to empower Joe Biden and his agenda at every step. Joe Manchin is branded as more moderate, as more centrist, as friendlier to Republicans at this point than Joe Biden is. But there's not some major difference there. In fact, they're of the exact same political lineage. Manchin, as I said, is the senator from West Virginia, and he became senator of West Virginia following Democrat Robert Byrd's death. Now, if you're familiar with the name Robert Byrd, it's because Robert Byrd was Joe Biden's political mentor. And in addition to being Joe Biden's political mentor for 30 plus years, Robert Byrd was one of those guys who filibustered the Civil Rights Act. 
And not only that, he led a chapter of the KKK. He was a grand Kliegel and exalted Cyclops. That is Robert Byrd, Democrat senator from West Virginia, who Joe Manchin eventually replaced. There's that old famous photo of the illegitimate president, Joe Biden, and a man named Jay Rockefeller and Joe Manchin all surrounding Robert Byrd back in 2008. Joe Biden running for vice president at the time. Biden, Hillary, Obama, and Joe Manchin, all big fans of Robert Byrd. Joe Manchin does not represent a shift from the politics of Joe Biden. He does not represent centrism, whatever that could possibly mean. What he represents is a marketing strategy within the Uniparty. They believe that there is a group of Americans with some political and social and financial power who hate Donald Trump and his supporters and will not vote for Donald Trump no matter what. And so they believe they have found some fertile ground here in the center, maybe with a third party candidate. Maybe that is the sort of thing that Americans will finally believe. Oh, this is the way it's not too hot like Donald Trump. It's not too cold like Joe Biden. It's just right. Let's do this in the middle thing. What a compromise that will be. And you can get standard issue villagers on the uniparty right and the uniparty left to agree that they are all willing to sacrifice the principles they don't have in order to get everybody else to just leave them alone and let them refocus on watching television and dreaming about where they can vacation now that they've been vaccinated. So we're watching this rollout of potential Biden alternatives. It seems like what is being projected from the regime is a clear understanding that no matter how much election fraud they're able to pull off, the country is not going to believe that Joe Biden can win an election against Donald Trump. It seems like they would like to replace Joe Biden, but the only way they're really going to be able to do that is if they already have another option in place that the people seem to like and accept. So they're going to keep trying to find one of those. And it's not even necessarily about the individual. They're trying to pitch an idea. They're trying to figure out what alternative people might accept and then figure out who the candidate is who fits into that paradigm. So they're giving Joe Manchin a try. Will this third party sort of thing work? We could see Mitt Romney headed that direction. We could see Liz Cheney headed that direction. Considering the split that the rigged meatball movement has caused within the Republican establishment, totally separating the Republican establishment from MAGA, they must see the fertile ground as getting all of those people together with all of the image conscious wannabe elite standard issue villagers of the uniparty left who now find Joe Biden embarrassing. Maybe they can just squash those two groups of elitists together and convince the country that that is an electoral majority. Now, I don't think it's any mistake that we are getting this the day after Chinese President Xi Jinping comes over to visit America. He came to California yesterday for a meeting with the fake president and then a meeting with people who actually matter, which are 400 of the major CEOs who actually make decisions at a higher level than Joe Biden. So let's go through some of the key narratives developing around Xi's visit to the United States. And we're going to look at things 
through a lens that applies our understanding of the two sides as the global evil twin, the global regime, against sovereign individuals desiring sovereign nations led by sovereign leaders. It's important not to try to understand what's happening through the lens applied by the mainstream media in the central narrative. This is not about the big bad communist dictator coming over here to tell the president who he owns, what he's going to need Joe Biden to do. This is not about Joe Biden's presidency or the 2024 elections. And it's not about holding she responsible for COVID-19. And it's not about potentially going to war with Taiwan, but it's going to be portrayed to us in all of those ways in order to distract from what it's actually about, which is the emergence of this multipolar world order and the move away from the global regime's fiat banking system. All of those other narratives are meant to distract. They're meant to reinforce the global regime's paradigm on how to look at these things. And all of it is designed to guide us toward war with China over Taiwan, because the global regime cannot afford to lose more strongholds, and the military-industrial complex needs a reason, a justification, to keep on going. So let's start with a preview of Xi's visit, this appearing on a website called The Conversation, theconversation.com. Now, this website lists its one strategic partner on the Who We Are page, and that strategic partner is the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They also have funding partners that include basically every globalist organization, the Lilly Endowment, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, Howard Hughes Medical Institute, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Carnegie, Hearst, the Ford Foundation, Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation. All of these are funders of theconversation.com and they have founding partners and members with universities all around the country and think tanks at those universities. Now, I think all of that is important information when dealing with a relatively new media outlet because you want to have some idea where they're coming from. And this is quite clearly a mouthpiece for the global regime. So from Tuesday, Biden-Xi meeting, six essential reads on what to look out for as U.S. Chinese leaders hold face-to-face -face talks. And so I'm just going to go through this checklist here. Number one, engagement, decoupling or de-risking. Now, the Trump policy was decoupling from China. He no longer wanted our manufacturing in China. He didn't want our financial, our fiscal future tied up with China and the Chinese Communist Party, which is the global regime's evil twin element in China, much the same as the Uniparty is in the United States of America, Trump wanted a separation. What the global regime wants in order to make it seem like that separation has occurred, what they want is referred to as de-risking. They're just going to make slight adjustments to manage the risks that a rising China presents for the United States of America and for the West. They want to present the inversion of the Trump policy marketed as able to fulfill the same needs as that Trump policy. Number two, war of words over Taiwan. And so what they're trying to get some clarity on is 
whether or not Biden will do as he has said a few times, you know, in the understanding that Biden is a real legitimate president exercising the full power and authority of his office and as commander in chief, that he would be prepared to defend Taiwan if China invades, while also reaffirming the one China policy, which is our official policy, which says that Taiwan is part of China. And of course, Taiwan is part of China. There is no scenario where Taiwan is not part of China. So what's being claimed by the global regime is that the fake president, Joe Biden, is going to lead the American military into Taiwan to defend part of China from China. The whole thing is totally incoherent, but we are being told that China needs some clarity on that. Number three, navigating the South China Sea. The article notes the South China Sea, which is home to large reserves of oil and gas, as well as billions of dollars worth of fisheries, has become a constant cause of tension between Beijing and a host of East and Southeast Asian nations, including U.S. allies, the Philippines and Japan. They add China has consistently engaged in so-called gray zone tactics in the waters, such as deploying Chinese Coast Guard boats in disputed areas, harassing other nations' ships, and building up artificial islands. With China playing by a different set of rules than the U.S. and its allies in the region, the risk of clashes at sea is very real. It could even lead to conflict between the two most powerful countries in the world today, wrote a scholar named Krista Wiegand. But that's not going to happen. And also, could you imagine if other countries were telling us what we needed to do with our Navy off our shores? Think of that from China's perspective. That is what we're dealing with here. We are being groomed, essentially, to believe that the United States needs to go in and regulate what China is doing in the South China Sea. And that, of course, sounds insane. Number four, trading blows. Oh, you get it? A trade pun. Here is the regime's stance from some of their scholars. As U.S.-China relations have moved from building bridges in 1972 to building walls in 2022, countries will increasingly be forced to choose sides and companies will have to plan supply chains accordingly. Those seeking to trade in both blocks will need to divisionalize running parallel operations. Now that seems very much in line with Trumpian decoupling. A bipolar trading world is already emerging with U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen calling for friend shoring with trusted partners. In other words, splitting countries into friends or foes and rewarding the former. Such a tactic is aimed at countering China's Belt and Road Initiative, which has seen Beijing pump billions of dollars into developing countries over the last decade. The United States is doing that exact same thing, and Joe Biden is going around the world to announce that exact same thing. They're taking American taxpayer money and paying off governments around the world, primarily in Africa, to allow the regime to build up infrastructure in those companies. And China is pursuing the same policy with countries around the world. You build up infrastructure, you make the corrupt government wealthy, and then you get to extract the resources and the labor from that country that you're essentially colonizing at that point. Number five, the war in Ukraine. 
They say China's support of Russia has been a continued source of tension between Beijing and the West since the invasion of Ukraine in February 2022. Meanwhile, the escalation of violence between Israel and Hamas puts in jeopardy China's policy of balanced diplomacy in the region. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't put China in jeopardy at all, nor their policy. That is a story straight from Normieville that can only be deduced when looking at this situation through a totally obsolete lens, which is the idea that each and every one of these countries is one singular thing and should only be viewed in how it might potentially threaten the global regime's agenda. The article presents the idea that somehow China and Xi Jinping have interests that align with the global regime winning in Ukraine and defeating Russia. Well, Joe Biden gave all the five eyes intelligence to China at the beginning of the Ukraine conflict, and they handed it right over to Russia. China has essentially supported what Russia has done throughout this entire time, and they are two major members of the BRICS currency bloc. Joe Biden, with his negotiating talents, is not going to find common ground that convinces Xi Jinping to abandon Russia vis-a-vis Ukraine. The entire idea is just nuts. And number six, now the Middle East. Yet Beijing is also at pains to promote its vision of a multipolar world, edging away from U.S. dominance. For similar reasons, Beijing is keen to develop its role as friend to all in the Middle East, a position that will become harder to maintain as war goes on, as Andrew Latham, who teaches China foreign policy at McAllister College, explained. And that, of course, is where the rubber actually hits the road, the emergence of the multipolar world order and the shift away from what is being framed for the U.S., as U.S. dominance. And that is one of the key points that we have to understand when looking at this entire situation. This is being presented to us as though the U.S. were the dominant force in all this. And the U.S. is certainly a dominating force in all of this, but it is not the dominant force. It is an aspect of the true dominant force, which is the global regime. All of this is therefore presented to us as a horror story about how the U.S. will be destroyed by the might of China and Russia and all these countries aligned against our interests. But they're not aligned against our interests. They're aligned against the global regime. They're aligned against the evil twin faction in the United States of America that has wreaked so much havoc around the world and dominated other countries through the manipulation of that global regime fiat currency currently branded as the U.S. dollar. When that doesn't work, when leaders can't be corrupted and compromised, when countries can't be infiltrated, and when the United States military, as the global regime's police force, can't take over countries and enforce the agenda, the system breaks down. But that is not the U.S. That is certainly not the goal of the American people. And at some point, we need to see this dynamic as what we either support or do not support. Do we want to keep the global regime in place? Do we want it to remain entrenched in many of these powerful countries around the world, which at this point really only include the United States, most of Europe, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand? It's not even the entire British Commonwealth anymore, which is what it has been for virtually the entire time. Now, America first and American sovereignty 
are not about being an imperial colonial power around the world. That is not the goal for us. It's certainly not the goal for me. I don't want to speak for you. You're going to have to make that decision for yourself. Do you want the global regime to remain in place? Because the threat you're being presented with is if that global regime does not remain in place, then the U.S. is no longer the dominant force. And at that point, China and Russia and all these bad countries are going to come in and take us over. That is what we are being told to fear. And we're being encouraged to fear that enough that we need the global regime to protect us. And so we want to empower the global regime because if we don't, then China and Russia are going to come get us. Now, as you might understand, I find that relatively ridiculous. Now, as I mentioned, Xi Jinping, after having his meeting with Biden, made a speech before about 400 major CEOs. And I haven't been able to track down the speech in its entirety, but here are a few minutes with a translation presented by Bloomberg. This clip is a little over three minutes long. We are in an era of challenges and changes. It is also an era of hope. The world needs China and the United States to work together for a better future. We, the largest developing country, that is China, and the largest developed country, the United States, we must get along with each other. In a world of changes and chaos, it is ever more important for us to have the mind, assume the vision, shoulder the responsibility, and play the role that come along with our status as major countries. China is ready to be a partner and friend of the United States. The fundamental principles that we follow in handling China-U.S. relations are mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation. Just as mutual respect is a basic code of behavior for individuals, it is fundamental for China-U.S. relations. Peaceful coexistence is a basic norm for international relations. And it's even more of a baseline that China and the United States should hold on to as two major countries. It is wrong to view China, which is committed to peaceful development, as a threat, and thus play a zero-sum game against it. China never bets against the United States and never interferes in its internal affairs. China has no intention to challenge the United States or to unseat it. Instead, we will be glad to see a confident, open, ever-growing and prosperous United States. Likewise, the United States should not bet against China or interfere in China's internal affairs. It It should instead welcome a peaceful, stable and prosperous China. Now, that is not exactly violent rhetoric. That is Xi Jinping, the leader of China, saying that China wants normal, peaceful, friendly relations with other countries around the world. Now, is that a trick? Is he just presenting that in order to subdue and pacify patriotic Americans? 
There's always that chance, right? So we have to be conscious that that could be what's going on. Maybe this is all a grand trick. We talk about the Thucydides trap and that being the strategy that has been pursued between China and the United States over the last few decades. China, the rising power, America, the declining power. And the idea is basically that this dominating power is shifted from one country to the other. China takes over the American role in the world. We tried it. We just weren't good enough. China was going to take us over anyway, so we might as well make things as smooth as possible. That's what we have been told by our political leaders, our industrial leaders, and our military leaders for decades. The elites want to maintain their own power. They're not going to give their power away. They're just going to shift the center of that power from the United States over to China. They'll still have some nice cities in the United States. They'll still have some mountains and some lakes and some beachfront property. And all of that will be protected by very competent security forces. And then the rest of the country will just be turned in to farmland and manufacturing territory. And the people will be subjugated. They're already bringing in a slavery-based workforce from other countries around the world, they'll have no problem telling American citizens that they either get in line and do what they're told or else they can be disposed of. That is the regime's agenda for America, and it's just a matter of whether or not they're actually going to achieve those goals. So the question then becomes, is Xi Jinping actually helping the global regime achieve those goals, or is Xi Jinping sincere when he is talking about Chinese sovereignty and their desire for friendly and normal relations with other countries. That is at the crux of all of this. And of course, we've seen the same hold true for Vladimir Putin. He speaks in very similar terms, uses very similar language to talk about what he believes Russia's role in the world is and what Russia wants, what kind of relationships Russia wants with other countries from around the world. And you know who else sounds like them? Well, Donald Trump sounds like them. In fact, the things that Xi Jinping just said in his speech sound a whole lot like things Donald Trump has said in front of the United Nations and in front of the World Economic Forum. Now, the idea is not that we decide Putin or Xi are good guys or bad guys and then treat them in only one way. The idea is that we understand how their words and actions might map on to both understandings, and we determine for ourselves which one seems more probable, while always understanding and looking out for and being cautious of things actually being the other way. But it seems particularly important right now, after watching what's happened with Ukraine and watching what's happened with Israel, that we don't fall into this mindset we're being led into by the mainstream media, which is to hate China. Because if we go there, those are the conditions where we might end up supporting a war effort in Taiwan to prevent China from taking over part of China. It doesn't even make sense, except from the global regime perspective, except from the perspective that wants war. NPR of all outlets, American state media, totally devoted to the global communist regime. NPR on Monday, this headline, Biden meets Xi Jinping this week as more Americans see China as a critical threat. 
Now think about the standard issue villagers out there. Think about the elites out there. Think about the American cultural mainstream out there. Did any of them care about China a few years ago in the lead up, for instance, to the 2020 American election? Were any of these people concerned about the threat China posed and the fact that Joe Biden was clearly fully compromised by China at that time? No, they weren't. Have our elites been concerned of the threat China poses at any point over the last 40 years while they have been continually empowering and enriching China and the Chinese Communist Party? Nope, they haven't cared at all that whole time. But now China is a great threat. Now, not at the beginning of 2020, but now China is responsible for COVID-19. Now China is responsible for those concentration camps or work camps where they have reportedly 2 million Muslim Uyghurs. Now it matters that China is going to go take over part of China. And so now we have to go to war. And NPR, the ultra liberal state media outlet NPR is advertising to standard issue uniparty left villagers that it is time to worry about the Chinese threat. They have a little line graph that shows Americans see China as a critical threat at the highest level since the late 90s. So we know that when she came into town, the streets of San Francisco were lined with Chinese flags as his car made its procession through the city. When he finally pulled up to the meeting, he was greeted by a Marine. They had rolled out the red carpet for him. She's car nearly hit that Marine. The Marine had to move out of the way. A lot of pomp and circumstance for a foreign leader and a pretty significant display of power and dominance relative to his supplicant Gavin Newsom in China and his other supplicant, the illegitimate President Joe Biden. And how did the global state propaganda media in America take all of this? Well, this is the headline from Bloomberg. She says China seeks to be friends with U.S., won't fight hot war. President Xi Jinping said China wants to be friends with the U.S. and said his nation won't fight a war with anyone. One of his clearest remarks yet, proclaiming a desire for peaceful ties between the world's two largest economies. The article reiterates that Xi, in his speech before those business leaders, said he never bets against the United States, as you heard. And he has no intention to challenge the United States or unseat it. Whatever stage of development it may reach, China will never pursue hegemony or expansion and will never impose its will on others. China does not seek spheres of influence and will not fight a cold war or a hot war with anyone. Now, we are supposed to believe this is because Joe Biden has asserted the power of the United States and given Xi some clarity about the one China policy, as if Joe Biden could do anything about that or has the power to do anything about that. Another headline in Bloomberg from yesterday, Biden, Xi declare progress after concluding four hour summit. Joe Biden and his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping, concluded a four hour summit with the U.S. president saying the discussions made, quote, real progress. 
The two leaders met for the first time in a year with hopes of repairing a relationship strained by economic competition and military and diplomatic missteps. <laughs> there are critical global challenges that demand our joint leadership. And today we made real progress. Biden said in a message on X, formerly known as Twitter, posted during a break in the sessions on Wednesday. So we're supposed to believe from Bloomberg that Biden, Joe Biden, the fake president, got onto his little phone and went to his ex account, formerly Twitter, and typed out a message about how the talks were going while the talks were still happening. Joe Biden did that. Well, no, of course, Joe Biden didn't do that. Joe Biden never posts for himself on social media and no one around Joe Biden would ever allow him to do that. This is so silly. And how about this description? The carefully choreographed meeting was held south of the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in San Francisco on the sweeping grounds of the Filoli Estate on the eastern slope of the Santa Cruz Mountains. The gathering among 16 acres of lush autumnal gardens belies a heady agenda with the leaders expected to finalize the resumption of military to military communication in hopes of avoiding confrontations in the Pacific, as well as a comprehensive Chinese law enforcement effort to crack down on fentanyl manufacturing and distribution networks. Now, that was something that Xi Jinping had already agreed to years ago with Donald Trump. But hey, sure, give the fake president credit for that. And how about military to military communication? You might remember an example of military to military communication when Mark Milley is reported to have called his Chinese counterparts and let them know he is going to make sure Donald Trump cannot do anything that might cause some sort of conflict back in early January of 2021. Now, if it turns out that that story was real as reported and that Mark Milley really did subvert and undermine the duly elected president, Donald Trump, going behind his back to speak to Chinese military leaders to let them know that he's going to thwart the duly elected president. Well, then Mark Milley has very clearly committed treason and should be dealt with accordingly. But I have a feeling there's probably more to that story that we will find out in the future. Biden said the two would discuss climate change and artificial intelligence. Their talks are also expected to include discussion of the status of Taiwan and conflicts involving Ukraine and Israel. Chinese officials are likely to seek the rollback of export controls, tariffs and restrictions on investment in the U.S. Ah, look at that. They came here expecting concessions with absolutely nothing to offer except, hey, we're not going to go to war. Thank goodness we have that old corrupt pervert in charge. Just kidding. We are supposed to pretend that Joe Biden, the illegitimate president, actually held four hours of high level talks on issues like AI and fentanyl and real wars in the real world. Joe Biden is not even capable of competently making his way through press conferences He's not having high level negotiations with Xi Jinping and coming out ahead. That's not something that's happening in the real world. Now, some of the regime's media is beginning to catch on. This is from yesterday in The Guardian. The headline, in our new world disorder, 
the old bipolar frames of reference won't get us anywhere. Very astute, Timothy Garton Ash. As the leaders of the world's two superpowers, the U.S. and China, hold a summit meeting in San Francisco, many observers hark back to grand bipolar simplicities. A new Cold War, the West versus the rest, democracy versus autocracy. Let's woo the global South. But the great Swiss historian Jacob Burkhart warned us always to beware of what he called the frightful simplifiers. The beginning of wisdom is to understand that we now live in a world fragmented between multiple great and middle powers who do not simply divide into two camps. The results of an ambitious round of global polling released today help us to understand this new world disorder. Conducted for the European Council on Foreign Relations and an Oxford University research project on Europe in a changing world that I co-direct, this being Timothy Garton Ash, this is the second time we have surveyed what we call in shorthand the citrus countries, China, India, Turkey, Russia, and the United States. This autumn, we added them to five other major non-European countries, Saudi Arabia, Indonesia, South Africa, Brazil, and South Korea, as well as covering 11 European countries. Here are a few findings to keep you awake at night. More than half of those we asked in China, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey said the United States was at war with Russia. Clear majorities in both those countries, as well as in India and Indonesia, believe Russia will win the war in Ukraine within the next five years. More than half the respondents in China, Saudi Arabia, and Russia said they thought it was likely that the EU would fall apart in the next 20 years. That was also the view of 45% in Turkey, a recognized candidate for membership of this putatively disintegrating union. And rather shockingly, of no less than one third of the Europeans we asked. Interestingly, there's a correlation between a belief that the EU is likely to fall apart and a belief that Russia is likely to win the war in Ukraine. Put all this together and you will see how much the credibility of Europe and the United States is at stake in Ukraine. So basically, he's saying that the people of the world are no longer buying any of it. A couple more paragraphs from this piece. A multipolar world in this form enables not multilateralism, nor even non-alignment as it was understood in the Cold War, but rather what the Indian leader Narendra Modi has called multi-alignment, a great power among other great powers. You pursue your own national interests wherever they lead you, aligning with different partners on different issues. And what does that sound like? Well, that sounds like exactly what we've been talking about for a very long time. The author even notes he and his co-authors characterize this as an a la carte world, contrasting it with the old set menus of the Cold War, to which the U.S. President Joe Biden harks back with his binary framing of democracy versus autocracy. Isn't it funny how Joe Biden, the fake president, becomes the avatar for this old way of thinking? And in many ways he is, and that's part of this global public shaming. It is showing everyone across the world, this is what weak, feckless incompetence looks like. This is what represents this old world order, the new world order that never came to be, the rules-based international liberal world order. That is the global regime. Under any other name, doesn't matter, 
That's the global regime. That is the old way. Joe Biden is their avatar around the world. Feckless incompetence, not to mention corruption, perversion, immorality, and compromise, not only in business, but at the family level as well. The author concludes, the lesson for the West is not that we should abandon our values. It's that we should get a lot smarter seeing the world as it is, not as we wish it to be. Avoid all those simplistic binary framings and instead develop targeted strategies for particular great and middle powers, such as India, South Africa, or Turkey. You'll never win unless you understand the new rules of the game. Now, he is absolutely right that the multipolar world has already emerged and this so-called binary thinking is totally obsolete and irrelevant. You cannot reach proper conclusions if you have no idea what's going on. It is important to recognize that the emergence of the multipolar world is what's going on. There's not another world to operate in. Now, world leaders understand that, but they still need to present the world as it was to people in the West. Otherwise, there's no way we would even continue to pretend that these people have the right prescription for American prosperity or for America as a member of a quote unquote global community. And by the way, think about what it means that we are considered to be a global police force. You got a police force in a local neighborhood. Okay, got it. State troopers. So that's kind of a state police force. And that sort of makes sense at the state level. We wouldn't want a United States police force, right? We wouldn't want the federal government to have its own police force. But then you realize, oh, wait, they kind of do have their own police force at this point. And they're trying to turn other federal agencies into police forces so that they can actually have a coherent federal police force nationwide. Now, what would it mean to have a global police force? We don't even have global law. How could a global police force enforce anything, any law that could be considered legitimate worldwide? And of course we can't. And so enters the United Nations and the United Nations peacekeeping forces. Now that's not strong enough to really handle all the policing that needs to be done around the world on behalf of the global regime. So that's when they call on the American military. And then you consider the American military being used to enforce the global regime construct around the world and their level of control. And what does it mean when it comes to resources, for instance? Well, who manages those resources? Oh yeah, private companies. So we're the global police force protecting these private companies as they extract and transport resources around the world in conjunction with the governments who regulate them. Oh, so it's all just the police force of these transnational corporations that work with global governments. And what we're supposed to do is support that power, even if it means going to war in other countries who we should not be fighting and who pose no threat to the lives of the American people. Got it. Makes so much more sense now. It's strange that they never actually just lay that out for us. Let's skip over to the Washington Post with a very similar headline from yesterday. She and Biden meet amid a fracturing world order. There's a lot riding on the meeting between President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping when the two convene at a summit of Pacific Rim nations on Wednesday. Both leaders will face each other after months of tensions and anticipation. 
There have been angry barbs tossed over the future of Taiwan and stealthy balloons sent over the North American landmass. Beijing fulminates over a legacy of U.S. global hegemony and styles itself as a champion of a different kind of international order. The Biden administration, much like its right wing predecessor, sees a rising China as the main 21st century challenge to the United States on the world stage and has sought to organize both its domestic and international agendas in response. But both Biden and Xi come to the summit somewhat in need of good news. Oh, what a declarative sentence. The U.S. president is enmeshed in supporting two bloody polarizing wars in Ukraine and Israel and may see this week as an opportune moment to lower the temperature with Beijing and stabilize a relationship in freefall. Oh, what? They have a bad relationship and Biden is going to seek to stabilize it? On what terms could Biden possibly stabilize a relationship with Xi? Biden has no power and no leverage in that relationship whatsoever. I actually did a little poll on X, formerly Twitter, yesterday, asking if the respondent thinks that Xi Jinping believes Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. Basically, does Xi Jinping have the same view of American elections that the viewers of Rachel Maddow's television show have? Or alternatively, does she potentially have more information than Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram? Now, the answer, of course, is that there's no way she believes that. And there were well over a thousand respondents. The results were 98% to 2%. Basically, no one thinks that Xi Jinping actually believes Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. Now, what would a world leader do with that sort of knowledge? It's not some mystery for Xi Jinping whether or not Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes. He knows there's no way in hell that happened. He might even have all of the evidence and an actual count. It should probably be assumed that all of these world leaders have leverage over the fully illegitimate Joe Biden. Donald Trump even said in a speech within the last few weeks that she thinks Trump is playing a joke on him with Joe Biden being president of the United States of America. Back to the article. She, meanwhile, is arguably in worse shape with China's economy slumping, investor capital fleeing the country and the deep damage wrought by Beijing's draconian mishandling of the pandemic still being measured. Now, this is very similar to how they described the situation in Russia at the beginning of the Ukraine conflict. They were imposing all sorts of sanctions. Russia was going to be taken off swift. They were going to try to crush Russia's economy. And they were saying that Vladimir Putin would be blamed for all of that. All of a sudden, we heard about Western corporations leaving Russia and all the investor capital along with it. But that, of course, is what you would expect in this sort of currency transition and with the various elements of this decoupling, if you're going to kick the global regime out of your country, you have to assume that a bunch of the global regime organizations are going to be leaving as well. There is going to be a real adjustment in every one of the countries that is able to remove the global regime. Now, how about this description? 
Biden may face a complicated election cycle ahead, but she, who has rearranged China's one party state around his indefinite and possibly lifetime rule, needs the summit to buttress his leadership credentials amid mounting scrutiny on his rule. To be sure, she is firmly ensconced in power, but growing internal pressures may lead the budding superpower down a more dangerous path, argued a political scientist at Claremont McKenna College. So basically, she is firmly ensconced in power and maybe absolute power in lifetime rule. But also, there might be people who aren't that happy with that, according to some professor. The article also goes on to gleefully report that according to some polls, Joe Biden enjoys great popularity outside the United States, whereas Donald Trump and Xi Jinping are widely disliked outside their countries. Now, in the last few years, in discussing all of these geopolitical situations and viewing them through this lens of good twin versus evil twin worldwide, the global regime versus sovereign people with sovereign leaders in sovereign nations, I've said many times that what we see is the same playbook playing out all across the world, color revolutions that are either successful or thwarted in order to more firmly entrench and infiltrate the global regime into governments and into populations or the removal of that global regime and its infiltration in countries around the world. And so before we go, I just want to hit a couple more examples. This is from today in Bloomberg. Spain's Sanchez wins new term thanks to Catalan amnesty deal. So there have been all sorts of protests in Spain over the last couple of weeks by Spanish nationalists trying to create some global attention on the takeover by this socialist Spanish government and the attempted assassination of the leader of Spain's opposition party, Vox. His name is Alejo Vidal Cuadras. But to the Bloomberg article. Pedro Sanchez won re-election as Spain's prime minister in a confidence vote in parliament on Thursday with the backing of Catalan separatists thanks to a controversial amnesty deal. A total of 179 lawmakers voted in favor of his reappointment with 171 against. A majority requires 176 lawmakers in the 350-member parliament. The decision to reelect Sanchez ends months of uncertainty after an inconclusive July election. Yet the socialist leader starts his new term facing a strong backlash over his plan to grant amnesty to hundreds of Catalan activists facing criminal charges over a failed 2017 independence attempt. So basically, the Spanish socialists are doing whatever they can to hold on to power. And all of this is a bit silly because... Spain still has a king, even though we all pretend that these European nations only continue to have monarchs perform a ceremonial role, which isn't true and never has been. And finally, let's have a listen to this from Rudy Giuliani talking about the situation with the comedic actor in Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. St. Zelensky doesn't want to find out this. Is that the president? Did you say Saint Zelensky. Yeah, because they made him a saint. Yeah, he's surely not a saint. No, his mentor, 
was the biggest money launderer in Ukraine, Kolomoisky. And uh, Zelensky knows the whole story. Yeah. He knows a lot that I don't know. I can, I can give you half the story and I have half the documents. He's got the whole file. Which means, if he says, uh, Joe, I need 60 bill. Joe says, yes, sir. Uh, Joe, I need another 20 bill. I don't know. You, you want to see the other pictures of Hunter? You know, they don't have everything. Okay. They don't have everything. You know, ding, what, what, what about the, ding, ding, what about the uh, foreign bank accounts? Joe, you know we put a lot of money in foreign bank accounts for you. And the FBI uh, did you a favor and never interviewed the woman who knew it, even though they knew she might get killed. They're probably hoping she got killed. But I have the bank account numbers. What do you think would happen if we started opening those bank accounts? You better give me the 60 bill. Now, I'm not saying that's happening, but he's compromised. But it is happening. That could happen. But what about China? Allegedly. I'll give you. Joe Biden, fake president, compromised by everyone. And we are supposed to believe that that guy had a meeting with Xi Jinping as an equal partner. And she has agreed to keep relations normal as long as Joe recognizes the one China policy. But here is the ultimate moment of Joe Biden's shaming relative to Xi Jinping yesterday. Biden gave some remarks and answered some questions after his meeting with Xi Jinping. And Biden ended up talking about how she was a communist and a dictator and I'll play that audio. But while all that's going on, Antony Blinken on multiple occasions yesterday, but this being one of them, is basically looking dejected and trying not to shake his head in full disbelief that the fake and illegitimate president is making things even worse for all of them. So here is the fake president attempting to describe his relationship with China's Xi Jinping. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that based on a former government totally different than ours. Anyway, he knows that. So the reporter asked if Joe Biden thinks that she is a dictator, and Biden says, yes, he's a dictator because he's a guy who runs a country, a communist country, whose form of government is totally different than ours. Now, that might be true and might be more believable if Joe Biden had actually been elected or if our democracy, as we know it, was actually the constitutional republic as described. But unfortunately, none of that's true. And the illegitimate dictator in this situation happens to be Joe Biden. Joe Biden is regularly being humiliated on the world stage. This is why they're looking 
for any other option. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!